chapter one of sowing and reaping this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. sowing and reaping by francis e w harper chapter one i hear that john andrews has given up his saloon and a foolish thing it was he was doing a splendid business what could have induced him they say that his wife was bitterly opposed to the business i don't know but i think it quite likely she has never seemed happy since john has kept saloon well i would never let any woman lead me by the nose i would let her know that as the living comes by me the way of getting it is my affair not hers as long as she is well provided for all men are not alike and i confess that i value the peace and happiness of my home more than anything else and i would not like to engage in any business which i knew was a source of constant pain to my wife but what right has a woman to complain if she has everything she wants i would let her know pretty soon who holds the reins if i had such an unreasonable creature to deal with i think as much of my wife as any man but i want her to know her place and i know mine what do you call her place i call her place staying at home and attending to her own affairs were i a labouring man i would never want my wife to take in work when a woman has too much on hand something has to be neglected now i always furnish my wife with sufficient help and supply every want but how i get the living and where i go and what company i keep is my own business and i would not allow the best woman in the world to interfere i have often heard women say that they did not care what their husbands did so that they provided for them and i think such conclusions are very sensible well john i do not think so i think a woman must be very selfish if all she cares for her husband is to have a good provider i think her husband's honour and welfare should be as dear to her as her own and no true woman and wife can be indifferent to the moral welfare of her husband neither man nor woman can live by bread alone in the highest and best sense of the term now paul don't go to preaching you have always got some moonstruck theories some wild visionary and impracticable ideas which would work first-rate if men were angels and earth a paradise now don't be so serious old fellow but you know on this religious business you and i always part company you are always up in the clouds while i am trying to invest in a few acres or town lots of solid terra firma and would your hold on earthly possessions be less firm because you looked beyond the seen to the unseen i think it would if i let conscience interfere constantly with every business transaction i undertook now last week you lost five hundred dollars fair and square because you would not foreclose that mortgage on smith's property i told you that business is business and that while i pitied the poor man i would not have risked my money that way but you said that conscience would not let you that while other creditors were gathering like hungry vultures around the poor man you would not join with them and that you did not believe in striking a man when he is down now paul as a business man if you want to succeed you have got to look at business in a practical common-sense way smith is dead and where is your money now apparently lost but the time may come when i shall feel that it was one of the best investments i ever made stranger things than that have happened i confess that i felt the loss and it has somewhat cramped my business yet if it was to do over again i don't think both i would act differently 
and when i believe that smith's death was hurried on by anxiety and business troubles while i regret the loss of my money i am thankful that i did not press my claim sour grapes but you are right to put the best face on matters no if it were to do over again i never would push a struggling man to the wall when he was making a desperate fight for his wife and little ones well paul we are both young men just commencing life and my motto is to look out for number one and you oh i believe in lending a helping hand so do i when i can make every corner out to my advantage i believe in every man looking out for himself you will see by the dialogue that the characters i here introduce are the antipodes of each other they have both been pupils in the same school and in after life being engaged as grocers they frequently met and renewed their acquaintance they were both established in business having passed the threshold of that important event setting out in life as far as their outward life was concerned they were acquaintances but to each other's inner life they were strangers john anderson has a fine robust constitution good intellectual abilities and superior business faculties he is eager keen and alert and if there is one article of faith that moulds and colours all his life more than anything else it is a firm and unfaltering belief in the main chance he has made up his mind to be rich and his highest ideal of existence may be expressed in four words getting on in life to this object he is ready to sacrifice time talent energy and every faculty which he possesses nay he will go farther he will spend honour conscience and manhood in an eager search for gold he will change his heart into a ledger on which he will write tear and tret and lost gain exchange and barter and he will succeed as worldly men count success he will add house to house he will encompass the means of luxury his purse will be plethoric but oh how poverty-stricken his soul will be costly viands will please his taste but unappeased hunger will gnaw at his soul amid the blasts of winter he will have the warmth of calcutta in his home and the health of the ocean and the breezes of the mountains shall fan his brow amid the heats of summer but there will be a coolness in his soul that no breath of summer can ever dispel a fever in his spirit that no frozen confection can ever allay he shall be rich in lands and houses but fear of loss and a sense of poverty will poison the fountains of his life and unless he repent he shall go out into the eternities a pauper and a bankrupt paul clifford whom we have also introduced to you was the only son of a widow whose young life had been overshadowed by the curse of intemperance her husband a man of splendid abilities and magnificent culture had fallen a victim to the wine-cup with true womanly devotion she had clung to him in the darkest hours until death had broken his hold in life and he was laid away the wreck of his former self in a drunkard's grave gathering up the remains of what had been an ample fortune she installed herself in an humble and unpretending home in the suburbs of the city of b and there with loving solicitude she had watched over and superintended the education of her only son he was a promising boy full of life and vivacity having inherited much of the careless joyousness of his father's temperament and although he was the light and joy of his home yet his mother sometimes felt as if her heart was contracting with a spasm of agony when she remembered that it was through that same geniality of disposition and wonderful fascination of manner the tempter had woven his meshes for her husband and that the qualities that made him so desirable at home made him equally so to his jovial careless inexperienced companions fearful that the appetite for strong drink might have been transmitted to her child as a fatal legacy of sin 
she sedulously endeavour to develop within him self-control feeling that the lack of it is a prolific cause of misery and crime and she spared no pains to create within his mind a horror of intemperance and when he was old enough to understand the nature of a vow she knelt with him in earnest prayer and pledging him to eternal enmity against everything that would intoxicate whether fermented or distilled in the morning she sowed the seed which she hoped would blossom in time and bear fruit throughout eternity End of chapter one